I don't know if you noticed or not, but Cindy's ministry, can you remember the name of it? Steadfast. Steadfast. Do you know the name of the series? Steadfast. Steadfast. Yeah, isn't that amazing, the way that just worked out? Uh, uh, again, we, we are very excited. We, we've watched this, this vision in Cindy's heart for so long now, and Cindy's been a part of this church for probably over 25 years, and it's, it's exciting to see her right finally at the edge, and boy, has she been tested as far as, you know, uh, you start something, you have the vision burning in your heart, but then really bringing it for its initial start, it can be very complicated, very discouraging. Anyway, uh, I want to introduce you to somebody that many of you will know. Anybody know who this is? The Masked Magician. <laughs> now, some of you probably saw this guy back around 2011 or so. The Masked Magician came on TV and each week he would do one of these phenomenal tricks that the biggest magicians do but he would then do it and then he would show you the trick now imagine you're one of these magicians making lots of money off of your tricks and of course the code of the magicians is you never ever tell anybody the nature of your trick but the masked magician was giving away some of the biggest tricks that these magicians do uh, why he was not kneecapped in the process, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, why one of the magicians didn't make him disappear, um, not sure about that either. But he got away with it. And he let go of all the secrets. He, he gave the foundational secrets of some of the biggest magic tricks that there ever has been. Now, later on, it was written that he really didn't give away the secrets. He only gave, gave away certain versions of the secrets, but who knows? Anyway, the masked magician. Well, I want to kind of play today the unmasked magician with you. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to give to you the foundational secrets of steadfastness. Uh, we're in a series of messages called Steadfast or steadfastness, whichever term uh, would apply for each week, given message. But I want to give you some of the secrets today. And we'll start by just reminding ourselves of what we mean by steadfast. To be steadfast means to be consistent, to be faithful, to be devoted, to be unshakable, unstoppable, immovable. This is a very, very valuable trait. A human being, it might be argued, cannot be a success in any area of life without achieving some measure of steadfastness. And steadfastness is all about character. It is not about circumstance. Steadfastness can exist, must be able to exist in any and every circumstance, or it's not authentic steadfastness. And, and as we sit here today, each and every one of us, we have certain degrees of cultivation of this trait. Uh, life tests the trait in us in various ways at various times, often blindsiding us. But I'm going to show you some of the advantages. Each week I've done this. Steadfastness is the key to going from impossible to mastery in any field. We saw in one message that they've done studies that it takes about 10 years of the, the right sort of practice to become an expert to have mastery in any field. But it's not beyond the capability of any human being. So steadfastness is the key to going from impossible where I could not do something to where I become an expert in the field. <clears throat> it's the key to resilient, value-based, principle-governed living, which means I'm not living by my feelings. I'm not living by impulse. I'm not living by the influences around me. 
I make my decisions based on what is right in the sight of God, what is truth, what is appropriate, principle-based living. It's the key to the deepest and healthiest relationships. Every human being wants deep and healthy relationships. It's the key to the divinely intended character development. You and I are on a developmental journey in this life. We are meant to become who Christ created us to become. We're meant to do what Christ created us to do. And unless we are steadfast, that development will be stunted. It won't take place. How many of you know you can sit in a church for 50 years of your life and never actually develop to be who God meant you to be and do what he meant you to do? If you don't know that's true, trust me, it's true. It it requires our engagement and steadfastness is key. It's the key to maximizing our God-given potential. It's the key to increasing on our God-given capacities for love, joy, and peace. Because we're made in the image of Christ, we're made by Christ and for Christ, we have these capacities for love, for joy, for peace, but they will be stunted. They won't be developed. In other words, we won't be able to experience as much as joy and peace and love as God wants us to unless we remain steadfast in God's truth. And then these capacities within us, they, they get larger. They, they can increase exponentially. So these are some of the values in it. Now today, we're going to fixate on uh, letting you in on the secrets to becoming steadfast. And before I start, I want to ask a question because here's what I know. I know that we we sit in here today, we, we are a divided audience and we're divided in this regard. We are at various stages of spiritual development. Some of us are still at the stage where we're just kind of assessing, we're analyzing, we're considering is this Christ person worthy of my trust, worthy of my, my engagement? We're sitting, we're watching, we're listening, we're not antagonistic, but we're not there yet. We have not put our trust in Christ. We have not actually become his follower. And then some of us, we might be very new in this journey. We actually have put our trust in Christ, our creator and our savior. And we are his followers now, but we're learning at the, the, very, bo- the very bottom level. We're, we're just new. We're just engaged. Some of us, we've been in this journey three or four years. Some of us, decades. So we're at all these various stages. So I'm always mindful of that when I, when I give a talk. So Here's the thing, what I'm going to focus on today, giving you the secrets to becoming steadfast, they are going to be especially appealing to you that have put your trust in Christ and actually are his followers. Um, I hope it will be engaging to you that are not yet uh, followers of Christ, but it might not be as much so. And here's the reason why. I'm speaking to you that are followers of Christ. Here's what I know about you. I know that if you're an authentic follower of Christ, you want very much to be effective as a follower of Christ. You want very much to be productive as a follower of Christ. And and somewhere deep inside you, you want to, when you pass from this life to the next, you want to have confidence that when you get before the, the family that is in heaven, that you are going to be celebrated. You're going to hear that, well done, well done, way to go. You want that if you're an authentic Christ follower. You want to be effective, you want to be productive, and you want to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven someday. And that rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven, it's not based on your or my works or good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. It's going to be based on we came to put our trust in Christ, we became his follower, and then we maximize the gifts and opportunities and learnings that God gave us to do those things, to invest our life in those things 
that count in the sight of God, that will count in the lives of others, that will count for all eternity. But you want to, if you're a follower of Christ, you, you want to be effective as a follower of Christ, you want to be productive as a follower of Christ, and you want to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom someday. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know that is true about you. You will absolutely get a guarantee from God today that you can know from this day forward how to be effective, how to be productive, and how to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven someday. You won't have to have any doubts about that if you'll embrace the, the secrets that, that our loving God wants to release and you know, emerge deep in, our, uh, deep in our hearts today. The whole passage, we're just going to look at one, 2 Peter, uh, cha- chapter, or 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Now, of course, knowing me as you do, I'm going to uh, you know, support these, scru- the, these scriptures with other portions of scripture. <clears throat> but most of the message is going to come right from 2 Peter. So here we go. 2 Peter, uh, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for what? So is there anybody in here that's lacking something we need for living a godly life? Uh, is anybody, uh, one of us maybe in here because we had such a terrible upbringing and we are so damaged and we are so bruised and we are so scarred that we can't live a godly life? No, that's not true. God says he's given us everything we need regardless of how difficult some of our lives have been for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him and it's talking about Christ who called us to himself now how did Christ call us to himself uh, this is going to answer but I'm going to give you a little bit more because there are there are some people that that unfortunately teach that, that God mysteriously and secretly calls some people to himself and that call is irresistible and unless God gives you that secret irresistible call you can never become a follower of Christ that is nonsense that is not supported by scripture that gives a terrible depiction of God this passage is going to tell us exactly how God calls us I'm going to add one to it Uh, you can mark this down if you want 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 in that one it says that God calls us through the message of of the gospel or the message of Christ he calls through just telling us the truth about himself and about life it says who called us to himself by means by means of what his marvelous glory and excellence so he calls us by showing us who he is how he thinks how he feels what his plans are what his purposes are what his promises are and, and, and he draws us and some of us are drawn to God and some of us are not I, I, I thought about this every human being every human being that you and I will ever meet every human being that's ever lived and breathed what we don't know about ourselves is this every second of our life we ache we long for that which only God can give we, we, we express it in ways that we're not aware of. Sometimes we, we talk about we, we want to go somewhere where it's peaceful and quiet and we try to you know, enjoy certain safe and secure relationships as much as we can. But what we're really seeking is something that only God can give. We're, we're looking for that, that perfect 
peaceful, loving, safe, good place. And we're always searching for it. The truth be told, we're living in the matrix. We're in the matrix down here. We, we are led to believe this is as good as life can get. It's not. It's a lie. The real life is not the here and now. The real life is in the kingdom of God. It's, it's the eternal reality of a place where everybody's safe all the time, where everybody's loved, where everybody's respected, where there is no sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, no conflict, no stress, no worry, no fear. This is the matrix, and there are dark forces that want to convince us this is all there is, and so invest in just this. But the truth is, the real life is the life that is eternal, and every human being is always seeking it. We just call it different things. We call it happiness. We call it excitement. We call it fulfillment, but it's the kingdom of God that we're really seeking so he calls us to himself by means of his own marvelous glory and excellence it goes on and because of his glory and excellence he has given us his great and precious promises these are the promises that enable notice that they enable you to do what share in the divine nature so God promises us forgiveness of sins. He promises us everlasting life. He promises his kingdom will come and his will will be done on this earth. And these promises says enable us to share in his divine nature. Well, how do we share God's nature? Well, we start to think the way that God thinks. We, we believe what he says about reality. And, and we start to do the things that God does. And when we think the way God thinks and when we do the things that God would do, it changes our feelings and we start to feel what it feels like to be God. God's will is always good. It's always loving. It's always sacrificially devoted to the, the highest well-being and happiness of others. Not, not just immediate gratification, but the highest. And when we start thinking and doing what God himself does we start to feel inside and that's where I said earlier that love and joy and peace um, you know these these can grow exponentially we start to experience what it feels like inside the way that God does when we start to think and live the way he thinks the way he lives so that we share his divine nature and we escape the world's corruption caused by human desires we again we're kind of living in the matrix we think man you only go around once in life you better get every every little bit of pleasure you can any way that you can because this is all there is maybe there's something on the other side but nobody knows for sure so you just better grab it now so we're desire governed and that desire governed life leads us into a life of experimentation trial and error seeing what works and in the process we are corrupting ourselves we're, we're decaying we're degenerating we're not developing this life is meant to be a developmental journey where we find the truth about God and find the truth about life progressively and we we start to walk and live the way God created us it goes on excuse me that, 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 that's, that's my, my, my first point <laughs> goofed up there so what that passage is talking about, it talks about how we're attracted, we're called by the attractiveness of God as he's revealed himself in Christ and the attractiveness of his promises, they draw us. And so the first thing, the first secret, okay, to steadfastness, the first secret to being effective and to being productive and to getting a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven, it's intense attraction to God as he has now fully revealed himself in Christ. 
That's the thing we have to understand. We now know things about God that the angels in the past in heaven face to face with God could not know about him. They could not know about God's mercy, his forgiveness. They could not know about his sacrificial love. Only we have seen that now with Christ going to the cross, doing whatever it took to let us know we can trust him, he loves us, he's for us, and that his way and his word and his will is the only way that life really works. And that when we live what he, uh, contrary to his will, the what he calls sin we're just kind of hurting ourselves and hurting others we're, we're living discordant with our god-given image and nature so intense attraction to christ and this is this is where we need to stop for a moment churches are notorious for inciting intense attraction to heaven uh, churches sometimes you would think that that's all that God is in is in the transportation business he, he mainly wants to get us from earth to heaven but he's in the transformation business he wants to restore his image in us but intense attraction to Christ I don't hear enough about this in churches I, I hear churches talking to people that God wants to make these deals you know, he just wants to, to get us in his camp. You know, he, he wants to make sure we understand the terms of getting our sins forgiven and being given eternal life. I, I hear a judicial thing, kind of a, uh, kind of a covenantal thing, but, but I don't hear enough of a relational thing. You and I need to just stop for a moment and understand that God is a real relational being and he actually only wants to rule over people who want his rule people who trust him people who are authentically attracted to him not attracted to heaven everybody's attracted to heaven you can take the worst scoundrel there is and they're attracted to heaven when they get close to death but God wants people that are attracted to him because he is the epitome of what heaven is all about he, he is the center and the source of all that is good in the universe so we should start by pondering this a bit for ourselves how intensely attracted am I to Christ himself how excited about Christ himself am I how, how drawn am I to Christ himself let me support this with some scriptures that just elaborate about how God has now fully revealed himself there's nothing left that God can do to draw us to himself he's full, fully re revealed himself in Christ says in 2 Corinthians 4 for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to beam forth the light of the illumination of the knowledge of his majesty and glory of God as it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ a lot of words to say simply that God is now utterly revealed himself more than he could in the times past in the angelic realms in eternity past he's now revealed his sacrificial love he's the almighty God but he's the safest person in the universe he's the gentlest he's the humblest he's the most loving he is sacrificially devoted to your and my good even when we don't care a thing about him him even when we use all his stuff ignore him treat him as inconsequential he still is ever seeking to draw us to himself he revealed that to us in Christ. Here's another. Colossians 1, 19, it says, God was pleased to have his whole nature living where? In Christ. In Christ, we see God as he really is. God's whole nature, it says again in Colossians 2, 9, is living in Christ's human form. One last one from Philippians. It says, 
Paul the apostle speaking says for I fully expect and I hope and I want you to listen to his intense attraction to Christ for I fully expect and hope he didn't know if he was going to live or die he was in jail when he wrote this um, that I will never be ashamed meaning I'll never shrink back from telling people about my devotion to Christ or the truth about God and the truth about life I'll never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or what does it say die for me for for to me living means living for Christ and dying is even what better now this is a guy who had been caught up into the third heaven and he had seen with his own eyes the reality like I say this is the matrix down here uh, there are dark forces trying to convince us this is all there is and it's as good as it gets but that's a lie and he had seen that but I want you to get the feel this man he didn't know if he was going to live or die but what was important to him he was so intensely attracted to Christ that he wanted to honor him with his last breath if that's what it was going to be he cared more about honoring Christ than he did about his own well-being because he was just plain in love he couldn't help himself he was just struck just struck with the beauty of Christ in the first message in the series I gave you a list of some things steadfastness happens when and this is kind of one of the secrets to steadfastness steadfastness happens when I find something that is first of all valuable beautiful desirable and inspirational but but it has to be not just valuable but beneficial I have to see this this is rational this makes sense it has to be not just beautiful but incomparable not just desirable but obtainable and not just inspirational or transcendental meaning it goes from this life to the the life to come and all that is in Christ all that is is available to us obtainable to us in Christ now we've all seen before these uh, pictures you know like at junkyards where they have these enormous electromagnets and you know they're they can go over top of a whole automobile and you know once that magnet gets close enough man that that automobile is going to rise right up it'll take it right up in the air now simultaneous to that though uh, you could have a, a huge stack of lumber that weighed as much as the car and when the magnet goes over it there will be no attraction the lumber won't move it'll it'll raise the car with ease because there's something in the car that is attracted to the magnet but not so with the lumber and, and so sometimes we can do now, now, now please I don't want to incite fear in you but I want you to think I want you to understand that every day of your life counts every decision we make and don't make counts I want you to understand life is serious and, and it's not a rehearsal it counts it all counts there are some of us can do so much damage to our soul that we, we become more like animals than we are like humans you say Randy you just insult me now man you call me an animal well all I'm saying is this animals kind of live by their feelings by their instincts they just live to gratify their immediate desires to live another day self-preservation is self-gratification but that's the way many humans live too and, and I can in the process of experimentation with with things trying to just figure out what brings me the most happiness the most pleasure by breaking knowingly and unknowingly God's design for myself which he calls sin when I do that I can do so much damage to my soul that I become like the lumber that even when God reveals himself 
in his self-sacrificial love to me, when he shows me the beauty of his kingdom, when he shows me the rational beauty and the beautiful logic of his will and his way for human life, I, I, can, I can hear all the advantages, all the wisdom of living the way that God designed me to live, but something has been so destroyed in me that I'm no longer attracted to Christ. I'm no longer attracted to God. Now, the irony of that is this. We human beings have this design built into us to be drawn spontaneously toward that which is actually beautiful. I had somebody telling me one time years ago that um, they went on this trip to Yellowstone Park and they were, a bunch of people were on a bus and they said that when, when they got to this one place where you could finally see uh, the park, I guess, for the first glimpse, he said people you know, got off of the bus and he said literally half of them just burst into tears they couldn't believe what they were seeing it was so beautiful we know that there's something in human beings you can go to a beach or you can go to a mountain or you can go to other places in nature in particular and the beauty is just stunning and it just reaches right down into the deepest part of us we, we can't even do anything about it it just creates this intense emotion and and pleasure where does that come from what, what are we comparing that to We've never maybe seen the place before. Why does it move us so deeply? Why do we know that it's beautiful? Why do we even have this capacity to recognize beauty of a sort? We, we hear, we hear about on TV perhaps, uh, very rare I might say, on a news program or something about somebody who did something so generous, so virtuous, so self-sacrificial, so kind, so heroic, and we're moved by it, man. We, we admire it. Why? Why do we admire virtue? Why do we have a distaste, a disgust when we hear about people doing evil things and, and taking advantage of people and hurting people? Where, where does this come from? It, it comes from the fact that we are made by Christ and for Him. We, we have the image of God in us, but we can so damage that image that the beauty that's meant to attract us. In other words, when God revealed Himself in Christ, unless we've done irreparable deep damage to our souls we will be drawn to Christ just like we're drawn to those beautiful sunsets or beautiful beaches or beautiful virtuous deeds that people do it's it's built into us but we can so destroy it that as I said earlier not to insult anybody we, we become more like animals than humans and God can't even draw us anymore to himself now I don't believe for one second that that is the condition of anybody in this room or you wouldn't be here but I guarantee you, you know people like that. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be turned around, but, but it's, it's a dangerous thing to knowingly or unknowingly do damage to our souls for too long a time because we're meant to be spontaneously attracted to that which is beautiful, and there is nothing more beautiful than God as he's revealed himself in Christ. His kingdom and the beauty of the life that's going to exist there, there's nothing more beautiful than that. We're all drawn to that unless we've done severe damage to our souls let's go on to the second point second peter once again so we're picking up just where we left off we were in verse four now we're in verse five chapter one for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection which is kind of the brotherly love thing is what the greek word there means and to mutual affection love that's the word for god's love agape so so 
It starts off with make every effort. Now listen, we don't make every effort to earn our way into the kingdom of God. I said that earlier in the message, I'm going to say it again. The way you and I, if we want to be a part of God's forever family, we want to enter his kingdom, God asks only one thing of us, that we're willing to put our trust in him as he's revealed himself in Christ, put our trust in Christ and become his fully devoted follower. Once we do that, his grace accepts us, our sins are forgiven, we are given as a free gift eternal life, we are safe, we are secure, however from that point on now God wants to get us healthy of course he does he loves us he, he wants us to start developing and to grow he wants us to fulfill his original intention which is a slow developmental process becoming more and more like Christ your beautiful unique self but a Christ-like version of it so please don't when you read this make every effort don't think that you have to make every effort to earn your way into heaven that is not what we're saying not at all but when it comes to Christian development, when it comes to me becoming the Christ-like version of myself that God intended, I must, you must, we must make every effort. Now this goes against some, some thinking and, and some very poor teaching in certain circles. You know, maybe you've heard things like, you know, man, the key, the key to life is you just, gotta, you just gotta let go and just let God. You know, he'll just do it all. You don't do a thing. He just works in you and he works through you and, and, and there is truth in that. But you and I will never develop at all. In other words, we could put our trust in Christ, become his follower, and then 50 years later, we would not be one small bit more mature in our trust in Christ. We would not be more Christ-like. We would be the very same we were when we first put our trust in Christ we won't progress we won't develop at all unless we make every effort this is calling for intentional aspiration I've got to aspire to want to be like Christ I've got to want it Jesus said blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness those are intense feelings I have to want it if I don't want it and if I want it, I'm going to show that I want it. I'm going to make every effort. Then God lets us into a secret process that teaches us about steadfastness, that's going to show us how we can be sure we'll be effective as Christ followers and assure that we'll be productive and assure ourselves of having uh, an abundant welcome into the kingdom of heaven because we lived our lives faithfully here. For this very reason, make every effort. Now, he gives this list of traits and he keeps saying, add one to another. You know, add to your faith, your trust in God. Add goodness to goodness, knowledge to knowledge. And, and let me show you how this works. So we already have a trust in Christ. He says, now you need to add to your trust in Christ, goodness. How do we do that? How do I add goodness? Do I just pray, oh God, make me good. Add goodness to me. And we wake up tomorrow morning. And the only thought that goes through our mind is, is good thoughts. And the only thing we want to do is do good to others. no. That's why it says make every effort. If I'm going to add to my trust in Christ's goodness, I have to start thinking every day of my life, every circumstance, God, how can I do good in this circumstance? How can I do good to this person? What is the good thing to do in this situation? Show me more about what is good as opposed to what is not good. Unless I make every effort like that, I won't develop in this area. Now, once I start getting myself on the track of okay I'm living every day in every circumstance to do good I need knowledge I need an increase in other words my understanding of what is good may be here 
but God can take my understanding of what is good to hear. I, I have to grow in knowledge. Look, we all are familiar with the term enablement. Uh, we, you know, this is a term that's become popularized with the addiction you know, uh, world we live in today. And so you, can, you could give an addict what they want, and it will seem like you're doing them good because you're, you're fulfilling their immediate desire. But you're not helping them. It's, it's not the highest good. The highest good would say, no, I'm going to help you get into treatment. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm not going to give you the money for what you want. So, so we need knowledge. To our goodness, we need to add knowledge. And then to our, our knowledge, we need to add self-control. So self-control now is that now that I'm looking to do what is good and I'm knowing more and more about what is good, I have to model it. I, I, have, to, I have to suppress and deny my desires that are inappropriate. I have to resist temptation. I have to resist being dragged along, you know, into a life of selfishness, which is what we, we tend to do. And I need to learn self-control. And then I need to do it long enough until it becomes who I am, a self-controlled person. That's where perseverance comes in. And then to perseverance godliness, I, I'm not just on this this track trying to become stoically virtuous but I'm centering my life in God I'm living with an awareness of his presence I'm leaning on him I'm drawing strength from him to do all these things all the time and then to godliness mutual affection and again that's a word for brotherly love there it means that that I don't become so so monastic so hyper spiritual that I'm not approachable I, I've got to keep human. I've got to remember who I was and who I am and how weak I am and how quickly I'm tempted and how easily I get confused and how I can fall away really easily so that when I meet other people, I'm loving, I'm warm, I'm humble, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody they can approach. I have to have that, that fellow love of human beings, knowing we're all broken and we're all needing rescue frequently. And then to mutual affection or brotherly love, he adds love. That's that God kind of love. That's agape. That's I'm going to be sacrificially devoted to your highest good, which is I'm going to do everything in my power to try to be a bridge between you and Christ. And then if you turn to Christ in trust, I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to try to inspire you. I'm going to try to encourage you. I'm going to try to model what I can for you and move you along the journey. And I'm going to try to be a sacrificial blessing to you any way I can. That's how that chain would work. But Peter says, and the Spirit of God through Peter says, unless we make every effort none of these traits which are all traits of steadfastness and all require steadfastness to develop none of them will exist so intentional intentional aspiration is what we looked at aspiring intentionally to develop Christ-like characteristics here's some verses in support of that Ephesians 4.13 couldn't be more clear our goal is to become like a full-grown man or full-grown person and what is a full-grown person to look just like what does it say Christ and have what now it is not unusual today here in churches well nobody's going to be perfect you're you're pursuing that crazy perfection stuff well I don't care what you pursue <laughs> my goal is to become more like Christ every day of my life. My goal is to have not just some of his perfection, all his bread. I want to love the way he loves. I want to care the way he cares. I want to forgive the way he forgives. I want to give the way he gives. I want to be like him. We all might aspire to be someone or something, but the goal of every Christian, according to the Spirit of God, should be that we want to become like Christ. And these traits that we looked at before, that, that's the key to that pathway. Philippians, we have another verse that kind of 
Paul's own personal biographical experience. He says, not that I've already obtained it, this goal of being what? Christ-like, which is the goal, should be the normative goal of every Christ follower, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that what, that, excuse me, so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. So I'm not saying that we are perfect. Paul was saying, you know, here he was 20-some years into following Jesus. He, he's saying, I'm still not there. I'm still not completely Christ-like. But man, I'm pushing on. I'm pressing forward. I'm always trying to grow. I'm always aspiring intentionally to become more Christ-like. Every environment, every situation that you and I are ever in, I don't care what the pressure is, it allows us a context to develop Christ-like character. We'll never be in a situation in life where that is not available to us if that's our goal and that's what we're shooting toward let me go on brothers and sisters I do not consider that I have made it my own yet but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead so Paul is saying this is a lifelong goal to become more like Christ now here's that list of traits we read in 2nd Peter he said Add to your faith or your trust goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to that perseverance, to that godliness, to that mutual affection, to that love. Notice how intentional and specific. Uh, unless something is specific, it's not dynamic. If it's too general, I'm just going to be more like Christ. He says, no, 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 you have to make every effort to add these traits and these traits will produce a steadfastness in us that will move us on a track to becoming more like Christ but we have to be intentional we, we, we have to measure these things now let me give you something to think about uh, I, I, don't, I guess it's safe to say this uh, is there can everybody in here read can I, can I see the hands of everybody in here that can read okay it looks like most of us now I actually worked with a man years ago who, who could not read so it, it can happen alright now most of you can read. We all read at different levels. Some of you are fast readers. Some of you are slow readers. I'm not a very fast reader myself. Uh, some of you comprehend well. Some not, some not so well. Some don't. But nevertheless, if, you read it, if you're a reader, here's some things I know about you. There was a time when it was impossible for you to read. Okay? Absolutely. It was a time it was impossible. And, and think about how you came to be able to read. Well, you know, maybe mom, maybe dad, maybe, maybe somebody, they said, well, well I'm going to teach you your ABCs, okay? So I'm thinking, oh, ABC, got it. That, that, that's good. I'm ready to go. But no, 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 no. It's not ABC. You've got to learn 26 other letters, right? The alphabet is 26 letters. But, but you're still not ready to read, right? Because now each of those letters has got a, got a code to it. You, you, got, you got another code. Like, like so, so the, the A can make an A sound, it's a vowel, or it can make an A sound, okay? The B, it's B, you know, and, and on it goes. You have to learn the code for 26 letters, and all the vowels have two that made it. So, so it, that's overwhelming. If you're a small child, um, like I once was, and you, you might feel, I give up, man. This, I'm never going to get this. This is too much. The ABC thing was pretty cool. So they, they tell you that little song, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, you, you learn your alphabet. 
but you still haven't learned the, the phonic part of it yet. And some of you still haven't learned phonics. You learned to read by memory, and you're handicapped. <laughs> you get a new word, you're clueless, man. You don't know what to do. We phonic people, we know what to do. <laughs> so you learn your phonics. B-B-B, you know, pa-pa-pa, for the C, the K, and all that kind of thing. And then you get the tricky ones. The C is sometimes K, and the K is K, and you're like, which one do I use? And it's, it's hard. It's crazy. Um, but then you, you get finally into small words, you know, C-A-T, with a picture of a cat, cat, D-O-G, picture of a dog. And you feel like you're on a roll then. I, now I can read. I can read. And then you look at a real book, and all you see is all these lines that make absolutely no sense to you other than you've memorized the ABCs. So you realize, ah, oh, shoot, man. I got so much more to learn about this. This is overwhelming. But you persevere. You become steadfast. And then you have to start learning syllables. Ooh, instead of cat, you know, you've got words with two syllables and three syllables. And then, then you have to learn accents. You know, what part of the word that you emphasize and so on and then then you've got to learn to put it together in sentences and then you've got to learn punctuation and on and on and go and, and you're still not really reading so hot at that point you've got to learn how to comprehend when you read and so on so there is a process but but what I'm trying to get across it's a very specific a very intentional if you aspire to read you must go through this process and you must nail these specifics and that's what Peter was pointing out. Man, you've got to add to your trust in God. You've got to add goodness. You've got to add to goodness. You've got to add knowledge and so on. Very specific. There's linkage between these things. Now, let's go on to the third part of this. Second Peter, once again. If, this is where I promised you earlier, if you possess these qualities, remember the list we just looked at, add to your faith, goodness to your goodness, knowledge, and so on. If you possess these qualities in what kind of measure? So you not only possess them, you have real trust in Christ. You are good and becoming better. You are ever seeking to do good. You, you do have increased knowledge of what goodness is and so forth. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, remember I told you, you'll be effective and you'll be productive. They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which means a person can have knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that he's the creator of the universe. Know that he's the most beautiful, wonderful, trustworthy person in the universe. Know that he sacrificially gave himself to bring us back to himself in trust. Know that he offers forgiveness of sins in eternal life. We can know all about him. We, we can quote verses and still be ineffective and unproductive. Okay? because we, we need to possess these qualities and, they, and they, need to be, they need to be growing. Let's go back to the reading analogy again, you know? So, so once you start learning the words and you start putting together sentences and all like that, you can still increase it because you have to learn now vocabulary. Remember that? They, they, here's your six new words for this week, you know? And it's just endless. It's like, ah, oh, you're beating on me again. Now I gotta learn more words. I gotta memorize them. I gotta rem remember what they mean. I gotta know how to put them together in a sentence. But if we do that, it increases, and it's measurable. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that in just a bit. So let's go on. But anyone who fails to go after these, notice if you don't pursue these, if you're not intentional about the pursuit, 
of steadfastness, being steadfast in pursuing these Christ-like characteristics and uh, spiritual development. If anyone fails to go after these additions to his faith, that person is blind indeed or at least very short-sighted and has forgotten that God delivered him from the old life of what? Huh. Randy, I, I, I thought all you got to do, man, is ask Jesus in your heart and then you get your ticket punch for heaven and that's, that's all you need. You're covered, man. You get, if you're on a park bench in heaven, so what? You're in heaven. But this says something different. It says that, that when you put your trust in Christ, you leave your old life of sin. Well, why would that work out? Because it says they will call his name Jesus and he will rescue his people from their sins. We read that in Matthew chapter 1, verse, verse 46. He's going to rescue us from our sin, not the penalty of our sin. I don't know where we get this nonsense. He's going to rescue us from the real immediate danger, which is my stupidity, not knowing what is destructive to me and others in life. I experiment. I do things. God calls them sin because he knows they're destructive to me and destructive to others. But it says that when I put my trust in Christ, he wants to rescue, you, rescue me from the things that des destroy me and so I turn away from sin. Everything that God says, don't do that, Randy. That's not the way I, I designed you. Randy, do this. That's the way I designed you. That's, that's real conversion. I don't know if you caught it or not, but all these, this passage we've been reading, they're all about changed life. It's all pointing in the same direction that when a person authentically trusts Christ and becomes his follower, they haven't made some kind of a deal to go to heaven. They have entered into a life-changing experience with their creator, and it starts showing the change right here, right now. And one of the major changes is that I don't want to sin anymore. I break free from that life because before I didn't trust Christ I trusted in myself supremely and I just did whatever I felt like I was just looking for something to make me happy but now I trust Christ supremely and he tells me sin is not my friend it's my enemy and I trust him and because I trust him I break free from it I now see it as poison I don't see it as the spice of life if you still have an area of your life that you think this is my deal I handle this differently God knows me. We, we've got this arrangement. And, uh, you know, he understands my heart. But, it, but you're, you're protecting a certain area uh, of sin because you still enjoy it or, or it's become an addictive habit or something like that. You need to understand you're hurting yourself. And God's not threatening you like to punish you. He is pleading with us, don't do the things that can never ultimately work for you and for your good or the good of anybody that's involved with you. So from the old life of sin so that now we can live a strong, good life for the Lord. We're talking life change. Let me, sh let me show you a couple more. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm, this is back in Peter, to confirm your calling and election. What is election, man? We're in an election season. By the way, you ought to vote if you're a Christian. Uh, vote, vote your conscience, but vote. Um, make your, confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never, what does it say? Stumble or fall away. You will remain steadfast in your devotion to Christ. You will be steadfast in becoming who God meant you to become and doing what he meant you to do. And you will receive what kind of a welcome into the eternal kingdom? A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what I promised earlier. The secret to being effective and productive and receiving a rich welcome for any of us that care into the kingdom 
is becoming steadfast steadfast in our devotion to Christ and we ought to be able to see incremental acquisition if I could just go to that just like we said with reading we can see improvement we learn our alphabet then, then we learn the sounds of the consonants and the sounds of the vowels we learn little words we learn bigger words we put together sentences we learn accents syllables there's incremental available evidence of progress we're actually acquiring Christ-like attributes is, is what I'm really talking about. Let me share a few scriptures and we'll get ready to close out. 1 Corinthians 3, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate means I'm thinking about the way Christ thinks. I'm thinking about the way Christ behaved. I'm thinking about his personality and his attributes and his traits and his interactions. We contemplate the Lord's glory. Unless we do that, we won't experience the rest of it are being what is the word transform actual change i'm not the guy i used to be you're not the guy or gal you used to be unless god's truth is changing the way we actually think and the way that we actually live we haven't actually encountered god on a trust level yet we're still on the outside kind of looking at things and figuring out if we want to uh, give our life over to these things we contemplate the Lord's glory we're being transformed to his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit so here we're talking about concrete measurable character changes lifestyle changes uh, ideas habits ways of thinking ways of doing things one last one Romans 12 it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world this world like I said remember it's the matrix man the real world is the eternal one that, that, that longing we have for something beautiful it's real it's there but this is not it don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God here we have it again transform you into a new person by what changing the way we think or renewing our minds other versions it just means that now I'm, I'm going to take God's perspective as it's revealed in his word I'm going to let it saturate my mind and that's going to be my perspective on life and that's going to create my value system and my priorities and my practices my conduct and so forth so here we here we have that if we want to uh, internalize this this um, trait of steadfastness it requires first of all intense affection for Christ so before we think about that I, I want to give you one thing to contemplate if, if we looked for an image for what is the Christian life like in various things like if we went back to biblical days you know an image might be well it's like a race we have that in Hebrews 12 but it's a long race it's a lifelong race it, it's good but it's not quite as good as one that, that I think we have available today you, you, you could look at a chariot they had chariots in those days uh, you could say the Christian life is like a chariot race but that's not quite adequate either because a chariot or a foot race you can stop at any time you want and be safe and you can go in reverse okay and you and you can be safe uh, there's only one analogy in my mind that is effective for giving us an understanding of what the Christian journey the Christian life is like and that is airplane travel now when you get an airplane can you stop when you're 35,000 feet up if you stop you're going where down okay and you sure can't throw it in reverse <laughs> the only safe place is to keep moving forward and to keep moving fast 
And that's what Peter was getting at. He's saying, unless you're continuing to grow, unless you're continuing to be uh, specific about your development and measure your development and pursue uh, with, with a clear mind Christian development, you're, you're going to be going down. Unless you move forward continuously to the last breath of your and my life, unless we're continuing, we're going down. You can always know that. There's no pauses that are safe. Because when we start to pause, we start to go down. If we want to be those that remain steadfast in our devotion to Christ, if we want to be those that don't fall away, that don't stumble, we've got to keep moving forward for all of the journey of our life. Let's do a checkup on ourselves. What excites you right now? What, what does your heart beat fast about? What do you spontaneously, intensely pursue? What, what has your heart? What has your affection? Somebody said, you know, be careful what you set your heart on because you'll probably get it. What is it that you give your affection to right now? Is it Christ? Does he have the, the center of the intensity of your affection? Because that will matter in your journey. What, what about when it comes to development? Do, do we have a clear picture of what we're pursuing as far as Christ-like development? And how carefully do we measure our progress uh, now I'll, I'll, I'll say measuring developmental progress is sometimes difficult sometimes you have to look back on a three to five year window and then you can see it uh, if, if you look in the immediate present it's hard it's kind of like the kid that would go to the door you know they mark mark those little lines on the door and the kid goes up there every day I'm not growing I'm not growing um, Measuring your spiritual progress can be a little bit like a look, look at it in three to five year windows or talk to those that know you and give them permission to be brutally honest. But we ought to measure, are we growing? Because it should be that we are possessing those qualities. Remember he said that? And we are possess, possessing those qualities in increasing manner. If we're not, then it might just be that no matter what knowledge we have of Christ, we're going to be ineffective. We're going to be unproductive. We won't receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. And we are very, very vulnerable. You have no idea what's coming upon the world, folks. You have no idea. We will be very, very vulnerable to being those that fall away when the pressure gets fully on. So, we all will answer those questions differently. And I hope so much that, that something in this message stirs you to say you know what I'm starting today I, I'm, I'm going to get clear I'm going to narrow my affections I'm going to get very specific about what I aspire to develop and who I aspire to be like and, and I'm going to start measuring my progress I'm not, going to, I'm not going to look around at anybody else and measure by them but I'm going to measure myself by Christ by the word of God and I'm going to make sure that I am possessing these qualities and they're increasing I hope that'll be true. I hope we'll go out of here today with all of our hearts being like that. And, and if it's some, someone here that you came in, you're not yet fully convinced that Christ is trustworthy, I hope you'll make the decision to put your trust in Him and become His follower. I promise you this, you will never, ever regret it. You might regret a lot of things in life. You'll never regret that. Amen. You can do that before you leave here today. Let, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the clarity and the specificity of your word. Help us now to take your truth, internalize it in our hearts, make the changes that you would lovingly want us to make. We just ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.